the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The unsealing of the book of Daniel led to the great disappointment of 1844 when sincere Bible-believing Christians were booted out of their churches because they wanted Jesus to come. Imagine a crime like that. That is Pastor Michael Axentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is entitled The Harvest and the Judgment. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. A little later on in the broadcast, I'll have information about how you can join us live in person if you would like, or you can watch online as well, and we have all that information coming here shortly. Well, let's get underway with the first portion of The Harvest and the Judgment. It is a part of the Revelation series, and you can find it, along with the rest of the series, online at reachingyourheart.com. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. King Solomon, the king of sages, declared that there are seasons for everything. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, he says, For everything there is a season and a time, for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. In Revelation 11, the Bible describes the aftermath of the unsealing of the book of Daniel at the end of the medieval attack upon the true Jerusalem, which is the heavenly sanctuary and its earthly extension, the Christian church. And the church of the Middle Ages was taken into captivity just as much as ancient Israel was taken into captivity. And the attack upon the church from 508 then to 538 that ended in 1798 was far worse than the attack upon the ancient city of Jerusalem. When Christ died on the cross, the Jerusalem that is for every Christian, the Jerusalem that can never be destroyed, the city that is on the edge of forever was established in the heart of every Christian that saw Jesus ascend into the clouds of heaven. When they saw Christ go up, they realized that no longer did they have to look to an earthly city. No longer was their citizenship rooted on what we find here that can pass away. They realized that Christ had taken his place at the right hand of God and that they were citizens of a heavenly Jerusalem. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Those early believers loved Jesus. Christ was their treasure and they planted their heart inside the heavenly sanctuary in the heavenly Jerusalem. And when they followed Jesus by faith into the presence of God the Father, they became citizens of a different kind of city. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And then verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. I mean, those early Christians joined the space program, so to speak, when they prayed. 
They were transported. They were beamed up by faith spiritually in their worship service right into the throne room of God, into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, into the presence of the angels and of innumerable uh, companies of beings and festal gathering. And they knew that even though if they were worshiping a twos or three in a house church, they were in the presence of heavenly beings. They became the church of the disinherited. They were willing to leave the old sanctuary on earth for the real one in heaven. And the great apostle wrote in Hebrews 13.10, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Paul put it plainly in Galatians 4.26, But Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. When the book of Daniel was unsealed in the year 1798, at the end of the 1260-year prophecy, The angel with the open book of Daniel was calling out to God's people in a pillar of fire and cloud to come out of the medieval captivity. It was time to realign and to refocus upon what those early Christians had discovered. The old era of hatred, of crusading and wars against fellow believers must end with the proclamation of the everlasting gospel. The angel in the context was not an angel. The angel in Revelation 10 was more than just an angel. He was a messenger from God who is the messenger from God. The angel, in fact, was God in the person of Jesus Christ in the pillar of fire and cloud and who was the angel, the guardian protector of his people in ancient times. There are times in the Bible when Christ is God's special messenger who appears in power. And so the mighty angel came down with the open book of Daniel. Friend, Jesus is not a created being. Christ is the eternal Son of God. And God has taken that part of Himself, which is in the heart of all that God is, the foundation of His law, the foundation of His love, the foundation of who He is, and He has sent the Son of God from the heart of God as the mighty angel of the Lord to proclaim who God is. Christ is not a created being. And so this angel in Revelation 10 had the voice of a lion because He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The angel's face was like the sun because Jesus is the word of God whose face is like the sun in Revelation 1. The angel had one foot on the land and sea because Christ created the land and sea. He is the creator according to John 1 and Christ has authority over the world at the end of time. The angel swore by him who lives forever and ever because Jesus Christ has a right to use God's name in this way because Jesus is God. In John 17, 12, Jesus said, The Father's name is in me. Philip, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. And so the mighty angel with the book of Daniel is Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, swearing by God that the open book of Daniel would open up the world to the apostolic gospel at the end of the age. When John took the little book in Revelation 10, it was sweet in the mouth at first until it landed in his belly and became bitter. It was bitter in the stomach. The unsealing of the book of Daniel led to the great disappointment of 1844 when sincere Bible-believing Christians were booted out of their churches because they wanted Jesus to come. Imagine a crime like that. Wanting Jesus to come, the crime is belief in the Word of God, and they were literally disfellowshipped from their churches because they wanted to proclaim the soon coming of the Lord. The organized churches of that time had become places that didn't want Christ to come. And so those early Adventists became what sociologists have called the church of the disinherited. They had no place left to go but home to glory. The great disappointment of 1844 was based upon a misunderstanding of the nature of the sanctuary. 
Just like the disciples who had misunderstood Jesus' statements that his kingdom was coming, Christ proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. and And so they thought, well, he will defeat the Romans and set his kingdom up on earth. They were disappointed to find out that his kingdom is not of this world, that his kingdom will come at the end of the age. The Millerites had made a similar mistake. They thought the cleansing of the sanctuary was the cleansing of the earth by fire, and they didn't realize that something had to happen in heaven inside the sanctuary before Jesus returned. So just like the great disappointment of A.D. 31, the great disappointment of 1844, aligned Christians to discover what Jesus was doing in the sanctuary. In 1844, the same thing happened in reference to the 2300-year prophecy of Daniel 8.14. Sincere men and women wanted Christ to come, and it broke their hearts that he didn't. You know, it wouldn't hurt us today, would it? If we wanted Jesus to come as much as they wanted Jesus to come, would that be a bad thing? If we pulled out the stops, if we loved our neighbors, if we opened our Bibles, if we quit picking and choosing what part of the Bible matters, and we took the whole Word of God, we studied it, we shared it, we emptied our lives until there was nothing left but to stand on heaven's ground. That's what those people were doing. Their experience was right on. Out of the ashes of the great disappointment of 1844... The Bible predicted that a global prophetic movement would arise that would preach the gospel in the context of the open book of Daniel to the world. Now Christ had made it very clear that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. And then verse 15. When you see the desolating sacrilege spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand the book of Daniel, the open book of Daniel, and the apostolic gospel would move out to the world. And so in Revelation 10, verse 11, the prophecy is made, I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. I mean, the word again means they got it wrong. The first time, they didn't understand what the sanctuary was about. The second time, they had to realign and get it right. Out of 50 people struggling with their Bibles who hung in there, who weathered the great disappointment of 1844, God raised up a movement that is today 20 million people strong, that is in virtually every nation on the face of the earth, that is proclaiming the gospel with the open book of Daniel. The text says you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Have you ever been to a church where they say, don't bother with prophecy? Anybody ever been to a church like that? I have. I've even heard preachers say that who claim to belong to this church. I don't want to be a part of a church like that. Now, I believe we have 66 books in the Bible. We need to spend time in all of them. We have been going through all different books here at Reaching Hearts, Luke, John. You know, we're on a series right now in the book of Revelation because we're living at the end. But I believe we need to take our whole Bible. But what if you exclude the prophecies from your study of the Bible? What are you saying about Jesus? You're saying that the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus, is irrelevant in your life. We need an entire Bible in our experience. When those 50 people read Revelation 10, as they studied their experience, when they read the account of what they had gone through, they discovered that their experience was predicted in the book of Revelation, and it gave them encouragement, and they got real excited about missionary work. When they discovered the great disappointment of 1844 was not a mistake in every way, that God was leading his people to look up and discover the subject of the sanctuary, they were excited about their study of the Bible. In the chapter just after the bitter disappointment of Revelation 10, 
these early Millerites discovered the answer to William Miller's error in Revelation chapter 11. Look at verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Together with many Bible scholars of his day, Miller had taught that the sanctuary was the earth to be cleansed with fire at the second coming. So Daniel 8.14, that prophecy they'd been studied vigorously after 1798 under 2,300 evenings and mornings or days in the King James Version, meaning years, the sanctuary will be cleansed. They were looking for the world to come to an end around 1843 to 44. But the earth was not cleansed with fire in the year 1844 and Christ did not come as they had hoped. So immediately following the great disappointment of 1844, predicted in Revelation 10, as their hearts were broken and they were forced back to the Bible to make no assumptions at all. And so they moved from Revelation 10, realizing that their experience had tracked prophetically into Revelation 11, looking for answers. And right there in Revelation 11, 1, in the very next verse, after the great disappointment, they saw the mystery unfold. The great disappointment of 1844 was over the subject of the sanctuary. And there the answer to the mystery was in Revelation 11.1. As they read a little further on, as they realized the sanctuary was being discussed in Revelation 11.1, they came to Revelation 11.19 and they discovered where Miller had gone wrong. Then God's temple in heaven was open, Revelation 11.19, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, voices, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. And I want you to look at that verse very carefully. According to that verse, where is God's sanctuary? On earth or in heaven? heaven? It says in heaven. It doesn't say it's the earth to be cleansed with fire, does it? And when they saw that verse and they realized that it came after Revelation 10, the light started coming on. They realized that what they had gone through was to redirect them to Jesus' final phase of ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. And when they looked at that verse, they started thinking biblically. Now that's not a bad thing when you think biblically. They looked at that verse and right there is the Ark of the Covenant in the heavenly sanctuary and the door is open to it. If the heavenly sanctuary is open to the Ark of the Covenant, what does it mean? It means that what is inside the Ark matters for the final generation. And they knew that God's Ten Commandment law was inside that Ark. Now they thought that they'd been keeping all of God's commandments, but when they looked at Revelation eleven nineteen, they realized that if the Ark is in heaven, it means the Ten Commandment law of God spoken at Mount Sinai is important for the final generation at the end of time. And they looked back in Exodus chapter 20, they started reading the Ten Commandments, and they discovered that they had missed keeping one. That the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And they realized that Christ had gone into that presence of God to open up a new and living way. And wherever Jesus went, they wanted to follow. And so those early Adventists, those Millerite Adventists, became Seventh-day Adventists. Looking for the return of Jesus, keeping the seventh day biblical Sabbath, the same Sabbath kept by the apostles in the first generation, by Christians up to the third century, and in the West to the sixth century, until the armies of the East shut down Bible-believing Christianity in the Western frontier of the old Roman Empire. And so they started aligning with the ancient truth of the Bible Not to be legalist, not to impress someone with something that is different because they wanted Jesus. They wanted the Lord of the Sabbath and the Sabbath. And so they started keeping the seventh day. 
We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. So what happened in heaven after the great disappointment of 1844? That's the question. The focus is not on the earth, it's in heaven. Revelation 11 holds the answer. Look at verses 1 and 2. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Verse 2. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample over the holy city for how long? What does it say? 42 months. In Zechariah 2, the prophet was given a plumb line to measure Jerusalem. The measuring line was necessary to restore Israel at the end of the 70-year captivity. And so it represented that which would occur as God rebuilt his sanctuary, restored his people at the end of a captivity period. In Ezekiel 40, the same thing happens. The prophet was given a measuring staff to restore the sanctuary after the Babylonian captivity. So the vision of the measuring staff was given in Ezekiel 40, verse 1. The Bible is very clear in the Hebrew. On the 10th day from Rosh Hashanah. Now, we know what Rosh Hashanah is. It's Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. The 10th day of the 7th Jewish month. That was the time to measure the temple, to restore it, to bring God's people back. The Millerites had a sense that the 10th day of the 7th month was a special day in the fall of the year 1844. They looked to the cleansing of the sanctuary as the time in which Christ would come and they thought it would fulfill the meaning of the Day of Atonement. And they thought that Jesus was coming on that day to the earth to take his people home. And they were right in part. He was coming to something but not here. The Day of Atonement was the day the Jewish high priest came into the presence of God when he entered the most holy place of the Hebrew sanctuary in a cloud of white smoke to cleanse the sanctuary and to prepare his people for a new year. He was coming all right, coming to the Father, but not to the earth. The Day of Atonement pointed forward to the judgment of God's people in heaven just before Jesus comes here. Christ made it very clear that something had to happen in heaven before the second coming. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 19. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. I mean, Christ had predicted this event in a single parable, so beautifully spoken. As they, the disciples, heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They were wanting exactly what the Millerites wanted. They wanted it to happen right then and there. But then Christ makes this statement in verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to do what? What does it say? To receive his kingdom and then return. I mean, so Christ went to heaven for what purpose, according to that verse? To receive his kingdom from his father, understood, and once he had received it, to do what? Then return. Before Christ could return, he must receive his kingdom in that far-off land or country. To receive his kingdom, Jesus must come before God the Father. He must come into the presence of the ultimate authority, and God must give it to him. And that's what they missed at first in 1844. Suddenly, Daniel 7, 13, and 14 was alive with meaning in their minds. 
after the great world empires symbolized by the lion, the bear, the leopard, and then the monster with ten horns, which represents the Middle Ages, the ten kings of the medieval world. Christ is pictured at the end of the Middle Ages, before the end of the historical monarchies, coming into the presence of God in Daniel 7 in a cloud of smoke like the high priest on the great day of atonement. God is sitting on his chariot throne, which is the great Ark of the Covenant in the heavenly sanctuary. And as they were looking for Jesus to come here in 1844, but he was really coming into the presence of his father, who had initiated the judgment that is for God's people just before the second coming. Daniel 7.13 I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Now notice the phrase, and he came to where? What does it say? To the earth? It doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? He came to the ancient of days. So he came right into the presence of his father. And it says, and he was presented before him. The Aramaic would indicate that he was carried into his presence as royalty because he's a nobleman who goes into a far off country to receive his kingdom. Verse 14, notice what happens. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the fulfillment of what Christ had prophesied that he had left, he had gone to heaven to receive his kingdom and once he receives his kingdom then he will return. Now if Christ had received his kingdom immediately after he ascended to heaven he would have come shortly after. This event could not have happened in the first or second century. This event had to happen at the end of the Middle Ages, prior to the second coming of Christ. This heavenly judgment is pictured in Daniel as a proxy judgment. Because Jesus Christ is there, God the Father is there, the angels are there, but we aren't there. Christ is representing his people in that heavenly judgment as their substitute. Look at Daniel 7.21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints. Now the horn is a a religio-political kingdom in the Middle Ages that looks like the Son of Man, but he isn't. And it's very clear in verse 21, it prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints received the kingdom. So is the judgment good news or bad news in this verse? It's good news. I mean, how many of you ever grown up being a little afraid of the judgment? You know, scared to death. You see the picture of God's law. You get the idea that you can't stand before God in the judgment day and you, you know you've made mistakes. If you don't, you're probably a sociopath. But if you do, you're probably normal, right? <laughs> no amens out there. Well, we're struggling with moral conscience today, aren't we? Well, the point is, if you know that, and hopefully you do because the law was given to make you know that, you have a reason to be a little scared of the judgment day. And so what we have here is a proxy judgment We have Christ standing before his Father and you aren't there. Now I can think of one other place where that happened. At the cross of Calvary, when Christ died for your sins, you weren't there. Because Jesus was taking your place at the cross of Calvary. And dear heart, you aren't in this proxy judgment because if you are a Christian, 
If you love the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what Christ says in John 5 is true for you, that you have passed from judgment to life. Christ goes into the presence of God the Father as your substitute in the judgment. And so Daniel is very clear, until the Ancient of Days came, this little horn was prevailing against God's people. And judgment was given, he uses the word, for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints received the kingdom. Friends, Christ died for our sins in 1 Corinthians 15.3. In Romans 4.25, he was raised for our justification and acceptance. And the gospel of the kingdom, of the future judgment, is part of that everlasting gospel that the judgment is given for the saints of the Most High. And Jesus receives the kingdom so he can give it to you. The pre-advent proxy judgment in heaven is for God's people and not against them if they believe in Jesus. The Christ who died for his people at the cross who was raised for their justification and acceptance will be for them at the end of time through the end of time. This heavenly proxy judgment prophesied by Daniel is part of the everlasting gospel. In Matthew twenty four fourteen, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. Then the end will come. Christ's words are a direct allusion to Daniel 7, 13, 14. Friend, Jesus knew. I mean, he knew what we're going through. He knew about Hurricane Sandy. He knew about your collapsed mortgage plans. He knew about your job loss. He knew about your financial status. And he knew that that final generation would be afraid of the signs of the end. He knew that it would be natural for them to cower in fear at the prospect of facing God in the judgment day. And so the good news is for every man and woman who can't make good news on their own. It's for every man and woman who can't stand on their own the judgment day. It's for hearts that are afraid to face the prospect of coming before a holy God with an imperfect life. Christ has come to his Father at the end of the 2300 year prophecy that reaches to the year 1844. Why? To confess the names of his people one name at a time. That will conclude the first portion of The Harvest and the Judgment. We will conclude this broadcast the next time we get together. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you can find this online at reachingyourheart.com. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland. 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.